wanted to make sure you understood that we have the votes. The issue of uh, the appropriateness of calling witnesses, obviously that is the most contentious part of one of these uh, proceedings, and that'll be addressed uh, at that time and not before the uh, uh, trial begins. Now, in terms of impeachment, you will keep asking me the same question. I keep giving you the same answer. We need to see the, the arena. When Donald Trump's impeachment trial begins, whenever it begins, the Senate will be divided between Democrats who will demand to hear from all the first 10 witnesses who defied the impeachment inquiry, and Republicans who will want to acquit Trump without letting any new incriminating information come to light. Would you vote to subpoena John Bolton? I, I wouldn't, because I think, in my view, the, um, our inquiry should be based on the testimony that they took. That We are acting on articles of impeachment, and I believe we should be constrained by the information that those articles were based on. There are words to describe the process of concealing evidence in order to help others get away with their crimes. Complicity. Conspiracy. Cover-up. And while you were enjoying the holidays and the new year, a bunch of new information about the Ukraine scheme came to light, which helps explain why Republicans are so scared of a fair trial. An email from a top budget official described, quote, clear direction from POTUS to freeze aid to Ukraine. At an Oval Office meeting in August... Trump's most senior advisors, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, pleaded with him to release that aid, and he refused. Republicans will go to great lengths to prevent the public from hearing those men testify about what went down in that meeting. There will be no haggling with the House over Senate procedure. We will not cede our authority to try this impeachment. The House Democrats' turn is over. The Senate has made its decision. There's just one problem. Every senator will have to take a position, up or down, on whether they support the cover-up or not. See, unlike when Mitch McConnell stole a Supreme Court seat from President Obama, he can't just declare that there will be no witnesses, period. If Republicans don't want Bolton or others to testify, they will have to vote to block them from testifying. And they're going to have a very hard time convincing their constituents that they're not participating in a cover-up. Polls show that the overwhelming majority of voters want the Senate to hear from witnesses and obtain documents that the administration has refused to turn over. Only a tiny minority of Trump dead-enders, less than 30 percent, want Senate Republicans to complete his cover-up for him. And after resisting calls to testify to the House impeachment inquiry, Bolton himself has announced that he will testify at Trump's trial if the Senate subpoenas him. So to complete the cover-up, Republicans will have to find 51 votes to say the public doesn't get to know. We'll shut down the fact-finding. We'll bar witnesses who said that they will appear if summoned. That means some of the many vulnerable Republican senators who will face voters this year will have to participate in the cover-up, or it will fail. Is there anything they can do to hide from this vote? Well... Trump could start a war. This is an NBC News special report. Breaking news. In a major escalation in tensions between the U.S. and Iran, the top Iranian general has been killed in an airstrike while leaving the Baghdad airport. The Pentagon confirming that Iran has launched a series of ballistic missiles targeting American forces in Iraq. Iran has confirmed that it has launched what is a conventional strike firing, it says, uh, more than a dozen ballistic missiles from inside Iranian territory. 
But short of that, the best they can do is exploit the arcane rules of congressional procedure as best they can. In fact, all questions about how the trial will appear to the public will be settled by how the key players exploit the rules. Under Senate rules, the trial can't start until the House sends over the articles of impeachment. So, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has withheld the articles and essentially said she would send them over only once Republicans announced whether they would rig the trial or not. Mitch McConnell wants to quash witness testimony, but he doesn't want his members seen engaged in a cover-up. So what can he do? Can Democrats stop him? Can Supreme Court Justice John Roberts stop him? Yes, he has a role to play, too. And to walk us through all the arcane rules and requirements senators will have to navigate as they jockey for witnesses or no witnesses, documents or no documents, a fair trial or cover-up, I visited Sarah Binder. She's a political science professor at George Washington University, a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, and a leading authority on legislative politics. Sarah Binder, welcome to Rubicon. Great. Thanks for having me. Um, So let's start with Nancy Pelosi and her decision to withhold the articles of impeachment, because I think you can see in that action how central congressional rules have now become and will remain to the impeachment story going forward. Um, So the House impeaches Donald Trump, and she withholds the articles, which creates a kind of liminal phase where nothing about impeachment uh, is happening for the press to cover, aside from the question of what kind of trial are Republicans going to allow? What what will they use their power to do? And there's some, you know, backseat driving of her when she does this, but it kind of works, right? It's in this environment that John Bolton comes forward and says he'll testify and that we learn more information about how involved President Trump was in the Ukraine scheme. Um, But it only works because of the rules, specifically the Senate rules. Is that right? Well, yes. First, just to back up a second, so what does it mean for her to withhold the articles? Um, Though what we're expecting to have happened was that immediately upon impeachment, there would be a vote to appoint the House managers. Who are the House members who are going to make the House's case in the Senate? And she didn't have that vote. And so when we say withhold the articles, she sort of stopped the process. There's nothing in the rules that mandate when we're going to appoint the appoint the managers, and so it's it's not that she's violating the rules or breaking the rules. She's she's bending. She's taking advantage of them, and she's playing hardball. It it reminds me in some ways of as a leader. There are these moments when the Senate Majority Leader, the House Speaker, can kind of serve as a shield from their members by acting unilaterally, like when Mitch McConnell said, we're just not going to have hearings for Merrick Garland's nomination to be a Supreme Court justice. It allowed various members of his conference to say, I oppose what he's doing. But in the end, he had the power, and it, he just said no. And Nancy Pelosi, in, in effect, is you because she has the power to basically determine what happens in the House, uh, various Democrats can, and, and they in fact they are, registering their, you know, frustration. They say it's time for this trial to get going, but it's up to her, and she can uh, she can do this as long or as short as she wants, I suppose, right? Well, par- party leaders in the House and Senate, their power depends on their rank and file and their party supporting what they're doing, all right? So John Boehner used to say, a man just without followers, leader without followers is a man taking a walk in the park, and Boehner frequently 
was out <laughs> taking a walk in the park. All right, so that's why you hear the sort of the beginnings of the sort of frustrations both in the Senate Democratic uh, Caucus and the House Democratic Caucus, just at the margins, saying, "Well, maybe now, two, three weeks later, it's time. It's time to move." But yes, Pelosi, so long as she's backed by her caucus, and, and that's really her coin of the realm here, is her ability to marshal that support. Doesn't just materialize um, to to make this point a strategic move to hold, like, put a stop on the process, and as you said, see what happens. It's funny because I I don't totally understand politically why. Some Democrats are uh, getting antsy because this seems to have fractured the Republican caucus in the Senate, the conference in the Senate. There are some who seem to think, fine, hold on to them as long as you want. Like, we don't need to start a trial, and you're not going to get anything out of us by doing this. But others are clearly pretty alarmed by it, and I'm obviously thinking of Trump. But Lindsey Graham, uh, who's a, a pretty staunch defender of the president, said – um, the Senate should actually change the rules in order to be able to begin the trial without actually receiving the articles from the House. Uh, so um, I guess what's that angst about? Uh, what would it take for them to change those rules? And is that just a reflection of their uh, agita about this? Well, I, I think t- time is can be on one party's side and not on the other party's side. And I think you get a little glimpse of what Republicans were worried about is first is Bolton coming forward and say, hello, everybody, I'm available, just subpoena me and I'll show up when he previously um, obviously resisted the subpoena from from the House. So time is not on Republicans' side here. I think they'd like to be done with it. And it's hard to tell what the pressures are still from the White House, but I think the president wants to be exonerated. And granted, he'll claim he's exonerated regardless, but he wants that vote on acquittal, and I think he'd probably like it before the State of the Union next month. So there are pressures on Republicans to get this done. And that obviously is sort of Pelosi's strike of genius, which is to say no articles, no trial. So um, I think that's what at least initially seemed to be some fracturing of the Republicans. Um, But of course, as McConnell, at least so far, has sort of seemingly regained a little power here because he said, look, I've got 51 votes to run the trial the way Republicans want to run it. But of course, he still doesn't have the articles. So it's not just, I mean, the dilemma for Pelosi in the House is, first of all, bicameralism, right? House Democrats and Senate Democrats don't have neatly aligned interests all the time, and you begin to see Democrats now fracturing a little bit in the Senate. And McConnell just has to wait for those fractures just to keep emerging, right? So he doesn't have to play hardball at this point. He just has to wait for that to unravel to create pressure on Pelosi to give in, if she's going to give in. But what are what are these pressures? I mean, if you're, if you're a Democrat in the House or Senate, and you see that this gambit by Pelosi is—, is kind of driving certain Republicans a little bonkers. Uh, why not embrace that? I mean, I, I saw some saying, oh, it's screwing with our schedules, which seems like the world's lamest excuse um, or lamest rationale for wanting to to snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, but nevertheless, they are fracturing, as you said. Yeah, well, I would not underestimate senators' uh, ability to uh, uh, to latch onto things like scheduling, predictability. Um, look, some of them, many of them, they're out raising money. They have schedules. And if they're holding some block of time, if they know they're going to have to be present, generally, for a trial, they want that predictability. And they rely on their leaders to provide that predictability for them. And so from us watching from outside, you 
you might have exact that reaction, which is, look, Pelosi's got the articles, wanted to let her drive the strategy here. Individual senators, deep down, even Democratic senators, don't really want their lives driven by Nancy Pelosi. So there, there, there's some of that sort of apolitical slash political um, machinations going on, I think, within the Democratic caucus in the Senate. But also, I think you may hear a little more in the House side, maybe. Look, the whole rationale for keeping impeachment narrowly focused and packaging at the end with NAFTA 2.0 and uh, spending deals and so forth at the end was not to make this the story of the Democratic House. And so the longer it drags on, I don't know. I could imagine pressures emerging to say, look, let's get back on the issues on which we're going to campaign in 2020. So as you suggested, into this stare down walks John Bolton and he says, you know, um, I wouldn't testify to the House impeachment inquiry without a court order but the Senate trial is different. It doesn't really allow a lot of time for litigating in the courts. So if the Senate subpoenas me, I'll show up without making a fuss. Um, first, is, is there any legitimate basis for picking and choosing which subpoenas to honor the way Bolton is trying to do? Well, only to the extent that it's, it proved difficult for the House to try to decide to go after it, to enforce it, right? And they knew that that was going to wind up in the courts and they weren't going to get we're going to get him. So that does, does give power or leverage to the individual, although it seems odd to think, right, that we have such an um, impotent Congress that they can't find a way. Uh, but that's been the story of the last year, which is the ability of the executive branch to pull and to make make it difficult on the House and now seemingly perhaps the Senate to run to do impeachment. See, I, I see John Bolton's uh, entrance into this drama between the House and the Senate and then among Democrats as uh, as sort of a plot twist that nobody was expecting and that and that the if you imagine John Bolton out of the story suddenly you know McConnell and Pelosi are at this impasse he says I got 51 votes to do the trial the way uh, we want to do it Pelosi has the articles and they can't start the trial until she sends them over and if you're a Democrat looking at that impasse uh, it just seems like you've reached the point of diminishing returns for this strategy of withholding the articles. But Bolton at, at least presents Democrats uh, an opportunity, I think, to scramble that those assumptions a little bit. If, if um, you know, if he's said, if push comes to shove, my duty is to testify and not to honor Trump's instruction to defy the impeachment. Pelosi can end this impasse by doing something. Subpoenaing John Bolton would be that thing. How does that change the story of the impeachment as, as we sit in it? Well, conceptually, it makes the, this question for the Senate trial of whether and when, how and whether to call witnesses, it removes it from this realm of abstraction to there's John Bolton, right? And he's ready to go. And this isn't, this is no longer hypothetical. But that at least so long as McConnell as leader has 51 votes behind him to defer think he can defer the question of calling witnesses, then even with a live John Bolton saying, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready, subpoena me, it undercuts, right, the ability of Pelosi to try to use that as, as leverage. Keeping in mind, she's still holding on to the articles, right. though. And, I mean, maybe this is a question better posed to, like, a, a constitutional lawyer or, or whatever, but having said, you know, in his statement, I've weighed uh, the competing... Um, you know, commands on me, and and I, if if I have a subpoena from the Senate and a command from the White House to defy it, I'm going to honor the subpoena. 
Having said that, if if House Democrats now want to go to court and say to a judge, tell them to testify in the House, I mean, they're going to have a very strong argument. It it would it would it would uh, extend you know Trump's agony about not getting this acquittal vote quickly, and seems to me like it would maximize the chances that you actually get John Bolton's testimony because otherwise you're kind of leaving it up to 51 Republicans to decide whether anyone else will testify, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't get the sense that there's a House Democratic appetite for reopening what Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats sewed up with impeachment last month. I don't, like, again, we're in the realm of legally, constitutionally, politically, maybe possible, but I don't see the appetite on the Democrat side for reopening their investigation, which in essence is what that would do. Although certainly on legal terms, I thought the idea that an individual is the one to decide which is the valid subpoena seems like topsy-turvy. I mean, Bolton is, you know, say what you will about him, and he's a controversial guy, but he's he's a smart lawyer. He presumably would have some argument to make that that things are different in the House than in the Senate. I don't know. I just – I I agree with you that the appetite isn't there in the House to do more inquiring, more of the impeachment inquiry. I just don't totally understand why. Yeah. uh, I think somewhat is – that's a bit of a – well, let's put it this way. Uh, Again, I didn't expect Pelosi to prolong it by keeping the articles. Um, But I do think she still has a commitment to her – her, her majority makers, those Democrats in swing districts with whom, without whom she cannot keep a majority in 2020. I think there's implicitly, a, if not explicitly, a commitment to them to say, look, we're going to stay focused on the issues that are going to get you reelected. And reopening the impeachment investigation um, or really the investigation generally, just it doesn't seem to be on the top of their list of priorities. Now, perhaps that changes, but I, I don't get the sense that, that that's where they are headed. Okay, so eventually the trial will begin, we think. Uh, and it's shaping up to pit Republicans who want to conceal information that hasn't already come out against Democrats who kind of want it all to come out. And, you know, Mitch McConnell hasn't even really been shy about saying this. He's not a partial juror. He, he, he wants to get this in and out of the Senate as quickly as possible. He claims he's gathered 51 votes to begin the trial but put off questions about witnesses and documents for future votes. Um, so what does the resolution of the standoff look like from a procedural point of view? Um, is it going to be one vote in the future on whether to shut down the fact-finding purpose of the trial, or will it be a series of votes? And how are viewers at home supposed to interpret what they're watching on TV relative to this question of new information? So here's what we know and what we, we don't know. So there is a set of Senate impeachment rules on the books and that McConnell has committed to to following because he well we can set aside whether or not he could get rid of them but he's going to follow this set of inherited impeachment rules now those are pretty bare bones they don't they tell us things about motions and who has rights and procedural rights and appeals and the the things the oaths people take <laughs> but it doesn't have doesn't flesh out a trial so meaning it doesn't tell us how long the managers have how long the president's 
uh, lawyers have to defend? Uh, what are the order in which we take particularly different types of motions? So this is what McConnell has been saying I have 51 votes for, a, a set of procedures to elaborate the at least the opening sequence of events in the trial. And of course, that's what uh, Pelosi and the Democrats have tried to narrow in on, which is to say, let's make this a fair trial. Uh, let's hear from witnesses who were blocked in the House and, and so forth. So what does McConnell have in mind here for this opening resolution? Well, first, it, it would be a resolution that would have to be approved by a majority. As he said, I, ha I have 51. He has said, what's fair is fair. Let's use that opening resolution from the Clinton impeachment trial 20 years ago, and let's use it, roughly, he said, for this impeachment trial. So devil's in the details here. We can pull up and open the, the first resolution that would be supplemental rules for Clinton in 1999, and we can know what they said, but the question is, are they going to follow that to a T? So a certain number of days and hours for each side to present, and then, this is what they voted on in 1999, there will be a motion to dismiss. And then, also in that original agreement, uh, a motion, shall we call witnesses in the abstract, basically. So that's that, in essence, seems to be what McConnell's saying I have 51 votes for, but we don't know for sure. But, but it matters, right? Is there going to be a motion to dismiss locked in, right? And... Will there be any Republicans who are willing to vote with the Democrats not to dismiss the trial, right, which will be within a week or two, probably, depending on how this plays out? I don't hear a lot of talk about that, but and that's why, presumably, in part, why McConnell has told Speaker Pelosi, I'm not showing you my resolution, right? And apparently McConnell, if we believe the stories yesterday, told the White House, oh, I'm not showing you my resolution. So we need to see what's in there, and we need to see it in part to know how does that trial play out procedurally. Now, having said that, the bare-bones Senate impeachment rules do allow any senator to really offer a pretty wide range of motions in writing, send it up to the chief, not to Mitch McConnell, but to send it to the chief, who then reads the motion and uh, can rule on it or allow the Senate to rule. So a Democrat could call for a witness long before we get right in the middle of the presentation. So, and then that's the uncertainty here. Will there be votes on calling witnesses even before uh, McConnell has said he wants to have those votes? So I want to get to, to the Chief Justice's role in this uh, in a minute. Um, before that, though, you know, we can set aside questions of whether, you know, the, this investigation, this inquiry is analogous enough to the Clinton impeachment to merit using the same rules. Um, but if McConnell is committing to something along the lines of the uh, Clinton impeachment process, yes, there'd be a, a vote on a motion to dismiss. But if if that motion fails, there were witnesses called at, at that stage of the Clinton impeachment. <laughs> is he lo not locking himself into a situation where he's going to have to say, oh, well, now we have to, we have to veer off the, the Clinton process for, you know, whatever reason he needs to come up with to avoid... Oh, for sure. He's not committing himself anyway. He's not said... He all, he's, all he's said for his own purposes here is, well, that's the question we're going to defer to later. In the Clinton trial, they did another resolution. It was a partisan version. They couldn't get Democrats uh, on board for it. Um, but uh, that laid out um, a very limited depositions of, of three witnesses. So... 
Um, those questions are yet to be determined, uh, but it's entirely possible we'll see those votes occurring even before uh, McConnell wants them. In essence, so what I'm what I think I'm hearing from you is that there is no way for McConnell acting on Trump's behalf or whoever's behalf to guarantee that the trial surfaces no new facts without making 51 of his members vote to say, you know, John Bolton, thanks, but no thanks. Well, uh, they would need to – 51 is everything, <laughs> right? He can't, he, can't, uh, he, he can't deter a vote on – an early vote on a motion to call a witness unless he's got 51 to shut it down. So uh, on the one hand, right, we're not really used to simple majority senates, right? Uh, we all say, oh, if it was just 51, majorities could do whatever they wanted. But holding together those 51, he, he may be able to do it. But um, I think they'll be a little dicey when it gets to particular questions uh, about particular witnesses. So, I, you know, I see this batted around. Uh, you know, Democrats need four votes if they want to have a fair trial. McConnell can lose two and he gets 51. What happens if three Republicans vote with the Democrats on these, on these procedural questions about witnesses and documents and we get a 50-50 tie? So uh, first – just to stipulate, this assumes all the Democrats stick yes. together. And it seems like they will. It seems reasonable, especially on the witness yeah. questions. Joe Manchin is the, was the sort of wild oh, card. Okay. And even he was like, how can I have a trial without yeah, witnesses? Exactly. So 50-50. So there, there are two issues here, one of which is the chief, but we'll come, come to the chief in a second. The first issue, what exactly is the motion, right? Because it's a motion to dismiss and it's 50-50. That's stalemate. And stalemate, the vote loses. So – Three defections on some types of votes is a losing position for the Republicans. So 50-50 right. on, a, on a motion to dismiss, the motion fails. Fails, if it's left at a tie. And John Roberts cannot break that tie? Oh, n- n- that's just the first condition. Okay, all right. <laughs> so the first condition is it matters what the motion is. Got it. Right, calling witnesses. It depends on who wants – who which side is looking for 51. Okay. So uh, – the first issue, what exactly is is the motion at play here? The the second issue then is if it's a tie, what does uh, the chief justice do as presiding officer? And this is somewhere between what's what's politically possible, what's in the chief justice's head, and then what's technically legally precedent here. So um, we have episodes from the. Johnson impeachment trial in the 19th century where there were two opportunities where the chief justice decided to vote uh, to break a tie. And in react- after each one, there was a Senate motion to prevent the presiding officer, meaning the chief, from breaking ties in it, and both of those failed. However, uh, the chief got the message, we think, and the next two opportunities back in the 1860s, he didn't break the ties. He, w- he withstrained um, withheld. So there's no, there's no yes or no here. There, right? He could decide whether or not he's going to break the tie. Do, can we divine anything precedential about those two votes? I think Sam and Chase was the name of the, right, of the Chief Justice way back in the 1800s. Um, when he voted to break the tie, was it in furtherance of what we kind of conceive of a, a, as like, like moving the Senate trial? closer towards what we imagine a courtroom trial would be like? Was it more partisan than that? What was his? Uh, so that's a good question, which would require me to bury my nose back in the uh, <laughs> impeachment record to figure out what it, what exactly they were. I don't believe they were as quite consequential as some of the potential typos that we're 
talking about here. But I'd need to go back and figure out where I, what precisely those were. But the, the question here is for Roberts yeah. and a lot of people trying to discern what will be his, um, his incentive or his motives or his goals as presiding officer. And I think the answer is we probably don't. No. Yeah, I, I I'll be responsible <laughs> and just game out the. Okay. Like I mean, uh, he I imagine he'll feel cross pressured because if he's thinking about how his actions will reflect on the Supreme Court, uh, he's going to want to go with public opinion, which is I think clearly on the Democrat side in these fair trial questions. But he's also conservative and a Republican, and it's no secret how his old party wants this all to work out in the end. Um, so that's why I asked about, you know, past um, intrusions by the Supreme Court justice and impeachments, because if the idea is that when the Supreme Court or when the chief justice uh, intervenes in an impeachment trial, uh, he does it to advance the cause of, you know, uh, public information, um, then Roberts can just point to that and say, precedent kind of binds me here. I, I'm not going to depart from, from what past people in this seat have done. I just don't know the answer to that yeah. question. Right. So the the problem for Roberts on the precedent question is that there are precedents both ways, right? There really isn't anything binding, politically binding, legally or, or so forth on him that to point to. So one question is whether he sort of – and sometimes we think he does. Some, I mean most recently he gave some speech and he said, look, the court's not partisan and we shouldn't think about the court in partisan terms. Well, sometimes <laughs> – the chiefs, we infer partisanship and policy sort of agendas from the chief's behavior. And sometimes, yeah, uh, the Affordable Care Act vote, he clearly seemed to care about building a broad coalition and not being the, the institution that upset the, the, the policy status quo. So which John Roberts is going to show up at that trial? It could depend, as you said, on the, the impact of particular rulings that a tie-breaking tie vote of his would have. Could be he doesn't want to make himself the story, but it could be he sees an opportunity to play it straight down the line, which, you know, sometimes he's got a record of having done that. So I think that's why it's difficult to game out how the chief will see his role in these particular instances. So uh, do you have any closing insights that you'd like Rubicon listeners to hear before uh, I cut you loose and we await the maybe start of this trial in the coming days? Well, I just think it... I guess I'd leave with two thoughts. The the point that there are a lot of procedural hypotheticals that could happen. But politically, it's in the hands of a simple majority of the Senate. And I think to some degree, we're just not used to seeing majorities of the Senate, partisan majorities in the Senate, having to take responsibility <laughs> for the votes they cast because typically they duck behind, oh, super majorities, we couldn't do it. It's the other party's fault. Well, We'll know who to hold accountable here this time, which is somewhat rare in the Senate, not least because they don't do anything in the Senate anymore. So for us uh, Congress watchers uh, who have kind of decried the fact that the Senate is – that the senators don't seem to want to be there anymore. No one wants to run for it. No one wants to be there. Um, this the sort of the spotlight is on them. That's it for this week. By next week, maybe even before you've listened to this – we hope to know what Nancy Pelosi chose to do with the articles of impeachment. Send them to the Senate, keep them on her desk, hold them while the House subpoenas John Bolton. Her decision will determine when the trial begins and thus what next week's episode will be about. This show is produced by Crooked Media. It's written and hosted by me, Brian Boitler. 
Stephen Hoffman is our editor and producer. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. 